Georgia's DBHDD reminds people that the Good Samaritan Law can save lives during alcohol and drug overdoses. People are urged to call 911 and stay until help arrives. More information at opioidresponse.info. Welcome to another edition of Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. It is uh, April 22nd. 2021, and we're going to talk today about what this day represents. It is Earth Day. 51 years ago, on April 22, 1970, uh, Senator Gaylord Nelson of Wisconsin uh, held what he called at that moment a a teach-in, calling attention to the aftermath of a massive oil spill off the Santa Barbara coast that had taken place a year earlier. And um, it sparked protests, that, that oil spill, and led to some new regulations, federal regulations, including the Clean Air Act, the Endangered Species Act, um, among other things. Um, but momentum in terms of d- addressing climate change, environmental issues, has really, really slowed and now has become a deeply partisan matter. We do not want to talk about it in terms of the partisanship today, except in terms of how it may have, how partisanship may have slowed progress. We want to talk about where we stand today, how we make things better for ourselves and future generations on the show. As I was getting set for the show today, I I was looking at quotes from uh, various writers over the last 100 150 years or so, to see what they had to say about nature or about the earth. And one that really jumped out at me was Ralph Waldo Emerson, who said something very simple but seems to me meaningful uh, in this moment. Nature always wears the colors of the spirit. Who are we as people, and how do we want to take care of this planet? That's what we're going to talk about on Political Rewind with our panel. It's Thursday, which means that I'm joined by my friend from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the editor of the paper, the boss, Kevin Riley. Hi, Kevin. Uh, good morning, Bill. It's good to be with you on this important day, as always. I'm looking forward to the show. Uh, the panel we've got is really impressive. So, Yeah, yeah, a bunch of smart people. Um, one of them, who I'm always a little intimidated by when he comes on the show, Kevin, because in his past life, although he is now the mayor of Savannah, he was once a uh, very, very talented radio talk show host. And I always worry he's going to be grading me as our show goes along while he's on. I'm talking, of course, about Mayor Van Johnson, the mayor of Savannah. How are you doing, Mayor? I'm doing well. Thank you so much. It is always a pleasure to be with you and certainly with this distinguished panel. And your job is way safe. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. Dr. Kim Cobb joins us. She's a professor in the School of Earth and Atmospheric Sciences and the director of the Global Change Program at Georgia Tech. Uh, Dr. Cobb, thanks for being here. When, when When we talk about the Global Change Program, what's the thrust of that program? What are you all about? Well, we're all about climate solutions, and I'm really in, uh, so thrilled to be here today to talk about some of that with this distinguished panel and, and help Georgians make some connections on this issue to carry it forward beyond Earth Day for the rest of the year. Thank you for being here. We're also glad to have with us Shante Wolf. She's the Electoral Politics Director of the Sunrise Movement, which is a national organization that uh, is primarily focused 
by younger people, people of the younger generations who are particularly concerned about the future. Shante, when I was getting set for the show, I was looking at your website, and, and I saw a statement about the fact that back in 2016, when this organization was sort of in its nascent uh, stages, um, the fear was that we were badly losing the battle to save the planet and that the Sunrise Movement was necessary uh, to wake people up to what has to happen. Is that a fair way to state that? Well, first, Bill, thanks for having me. And I think that's correct. I think, um, you know, we knew that there was a sense of urgency that needed to happen in our country around the climate crisis. Um, and so we decided to figure out how we could best approach these demands as intersectional as possible and highlighting how climate does impact communities in, from healthcare to the economy um, and also displacement. Yeah. Um, so I want to make something clear here. We, we know that climate change is a global issue and that it's going to, as, as President Biden just said this morning when he made his uh, statement about Earth Day and said he wants to reduce carbon emissions by 50 percent between now and 2030. But he pointed out that the United States and certainly Georgia here where we are uh, can only have part of the solution. But we do want to throughout the show uh, focus on the global problems and then also talk about it in terms of uh, Georgia. So with that in mind, uh, Mayor Johnson, let me start with you, if I may. Here you are living in a essentially a coastal city um, where uh, rising seas are one of the biggest problems that all coastal cities face. Give us a sense as we start of where you think you and Savannah stand in terms of addressing uh, some of the biggest problems, particularly uh, 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 rising sea levels. Well, again, they're happy Earth Day to everybody. Um, the Earth is what we all have in common. Um, although Savannah is considered one of Georgia's um, most loveliest cities, I, I certainly would agree with that, and certainly one of the more proactive cities uh, as it relates to climate change. I think we're all well behind the eighth ball insofar as climate change uh, is concerned. Um, generally, we're wetter than we have ever been before. We're hotter than we've ever been before, and we're, we're dirtier. Um, than we've ever been before, and um, masks don't help that situation. I'm seeing them everywhere, and they end up in our waterways, and they end up um, where they should not be. Um, you know, we need to have, and the city of Savannah endeavors to have um, very decisive, very intentional uh, policy, um, political will, uh, corporate buy-in, community participation, and, and, and really racial and social equity as it relates to, to climate, climate change. Um, you know, these are the, the precepts by which we have to move uh, forward, and I don't think that we're in a luxury where we can wait. Um, I think that we have to move very aggressively towards that, and here in Savannah, that's what we're trying to do. Uh, we're going to want, as we go along on this show, to talk about some of the very specific measures you've taken in Savannah uh, sure. that we perhaps can replicate in other cities and uh, regions across the, the southeast, across Georgia, and we'll do that as we move along. Dr. Cobb, um, we know that, uh, I think in 2018, a group of environmental scientists warned that if we didn't do something about the warming of the earth, if we didn't do something about addressing climate change by 2030, we were reaching a point of no return. So give us a sense of where you believe we stand today, and is all hope really kind of lost at this point since we're not moving forward very aggressively? Well, you know, let, let me correct that misconception at the top there, Bill. 
um, it's never too late to begin to address climate change in earnest. And there is uh, so much damage to be avoided and losses to be saved. So we can get going. And in fact, today, uh, President Biden, you know, charting us on a course in line with the most ambitious science-based targets uh, to keep warming to a, a bare minimum this century. And, and that translates to uh, avoided damages, uh, economic benefits, and uh, public health outcomes uh, that are all on the plus side. Uh, that's, that's a massive, a massive contribution to put us back on track. So I, I think this is a new day for climate change. Uh, today and, and these past months, we've seen uh, aggressive and building action after four years of, of serious headwinds, uh, fighting our way uh, through uh, seeming absolutely impossible at some turns to see any progress and, in fact, some rollback uh, on the progress that had been previously made. Now we find ourselves with tailwinds. Uh, but to me, really what we have to remind ourselves is this is not the time for complacency. <laughs> this is the time to keep pushing as far as we can, as fast as we can, to make up for the fact that we haven't been meaningfully engaged on this issue, uh, really, since we've known about this for 30 years as scientists. And so what we have to do is to think holistically about what it means to have climate solutions, uh, we need to think about not just emissions reductions like those targets announced today, but how we're going to invest in resilience for communities in Georgia and across this nation and across the world to help keep people safe and preserve their lives and livelihoods for, uh, from these climate change impacts that we know are coming down the pike. All of that must be underpinned by a focus on justice and equity in my perspective. Um, there are huge economic gains to be done and equity gains if we do this right. Uh, Georgia has a lot on the line with climate. We are in the bullseye of climate change impacts here. Uh, so we have a real opportunity to uh, use our best uh, minds and all of our capacity to, uh, to make some lasting change here. Shante, uh, let me bring you into the conversation. I, I said at the top of the show that, you know, I didn't think that what we wanted to do was talk about this as a partisan issue, although there's certainly partisan aspects to it. But at, but at the same time, you are the electoral politics director of the Sunrise Movement. And and so with that in mind, I think it's important to get a, a starting po a point from you in terms of where do we stand in terms of the uh, the push and pull largely between Republicans and Democrats on the issue, not only of what we need to do about climate change, but whether climate change is even real. <laughs> yeah, um, that's a good point. Well, obviously I wouldn't be here if this wasn't a partisan issue, but I'll start with saying that we are seeing a growing number of folks across the aisle even come out and say that they believe in climate change to a certain degree. Now that could be, um, for several reasons. It could be if you can't beat them, join them. It could be because they see it in their own communities and they're finally impacted. I mean, after what happened in Texas, it's hard to be an uh, opponent uh, for climate change unless you're someone like people that like to jump on flights and uh, <laughs> ignore responsibilities in their own districts. But no, I think that we have a uphill battle, not only to illuminate for us at Sunrise to talk about how the Green New Deal is the premier option to save, you know, Southerners from this growing climate crisis uh, to provide, you know, jobs via uh, clean energy, but also 
illuminate how this does impact the average person in Georgia. Uh, one thing that I found very interesting when we were doing our um, electoral work during the Georgia runoff, I led a IE campaign here, is that nothing about the Green New Deal necessarily resonated with voters. It wasn't because they didn't believe in it. It's because generally the language we use to talk about climate change does not resonate with working class or lower income people. So what we did was we worked backwards and we talked about how does the Green New Deal illuminate the symptoms of climate change and how it impacts our communities? Let's talk about health care inequality. Let's talk about forced displacement when severe weather and hurricanes happen across the South and how uh, we are using this particular piece of legislation to make communities better. I think that is a winning strategy that we have used, especially in the last primary. Of course, um, outside of obviously being very explicit about how people are talking about the issues, you know, during the general and leading up to the primary, we gave President Biden an F on climate uh, originally, and we have since worked with him uh, to, you know, be a very fierce proponent in his own way right now. He could be a lot better about climate. So, um, you know, it's an ongoing battle. It's something that we're not afraid of. One thing that um, I was asked in an interview in the runoff was, well, hey, sunrises, you know, coming into Georgia in a Senate race where both of the candidates, you know, haven't verbally expressed uh, support for a Green New Deal. Do you think your presence here is causing more harm than good? And I said, you know, first of all, you know, the right has started to use the Green New Deal as a dog whistle for other things. Um, but we know that, you know, there's a home here for climate change in the South, and it starts here, and it'll always start in the South. Kevin? Uh, I'm going to follow up with uh, Shante and then uh, ask Dr. Cobb to address this. So, obviously, um, your organization, Shante, is 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 represents sort of a, a new generation, certainly a different generation of people than were than who were inspired by Earth Day 51 years ago. And so, I would ask you, like, what do, what do you think is different about how? The people you're talking to see this, people of, of, of that, you know, uh, generation. And then, Dr. Cobb, if you could follow up, as a scientist, how mm -hmm. has it affected the science as perceptions and priorities have changed over these 51 years? Yeah, so Shante? I'll say, yeah, the biggest difference is, um, you know, when I'm talking about climate change and my climate change allies, I'm thinking of, you know, black and brown individuals that live at or below the poverty line that are seeing the issues of climate well beyond fossil fuels executives and sort of the big wig issues that are certainly impacting people, but it's not what's resonating at kitchen table conversations across uh, the, the communities that we serve. And also we're seeing more people that are tying climate change to other issues that impact people's lives, um, just like healthcare, like I was saying before in our economy and how treating our climate in an equitable way, we will spend less money, um, you know, taking care of people as we would paying for the damages of our communities if we do not address climate change uh, in an equitable fashion. Dr. Cobb, why don't you uh, weigh in on this too, please? Yeah, so um, kind of thinking about how uh, science has evolved over the last several decades, you know, it's been decades that we've known about this issue and we've seen it coming. And there, of course, have been a lot of work in trying to refine our understanding of impacts so that we could pass those over to policymakers and they would get the job done. <laughs> Obviously, it's become a lot more complicated than that. It's not that easy. 
And what we're trying to do right now at Georgia Tech is figure out how we can put research in the gap between knowledge creation and, and policy by working directly with policymakers and, and community leaders and uh, municipal officials so that we can help translate some of the knowledge that we do have uh, down into solutions on the ground. And I'm, I'm honored to work with uh, Mayor, uh, Mayor Johnson down in Savannah on a project called uh, Smart Sea Level Sensors, where we're doing just that. We are co-developing this network of high-density sensors to provide real-time information on flooding and help improve flood projections for uh, all the neighborhoods uh, that, that are in Savannah and Chatham County. So that's an example of a project that's crept up uh, to kind of help connect the dots on something like sea level rise. And people, uh, scientists and engineers at Georgia Tech are flocking into this project to get involved because that's what impact means right now. There's, that's where science needs to be. It's not about publishing in journal articles and then sitting back and washing your hands of it. You got to get your hands dirty. You got to work with communities that are impacted. And uh, that's where Georgia Tech has set its sights right now. And, and again, I'm honored to be involved with several such projects through my work at Global Change. Mayor Jadson, I'm, I'm glad that Dr. Cobb mentioned um, what, what you're doing in partnership with Georgia Tech. And, and of course, one of the reasons that we wanted so much to have you on this uh, show today is that you've really been a leader in terms of public officials who have uh, been working as hard as you can to deal with the impact of climate change and also to look at ways to mitigate it. So take a couple minutes and talk to us about what it is that you're doing in Savannah uh, that uh, uh, you think in the long run it, it should be replicated elsewhere that might help us avert some of the worst impacts of climate change? Sure. Let me, um, again, and we want to thank uh, Doc and Georgia Tech. Um, we have 40 of those sensors out, and they're working. And, um, you know, I think it's groundbreaking work. But to just give you an idea of where Savannah's perspective is, um, you know, we are the mother city of Georgia. We are the first capital, but we're also a coastal city. Um, and just from 2016 to 2019, Georgia has experienced four hurricanes in each of those four years. And in our community, over the last, what, five years, we have evacuated on a mandatory basis three times, which is a huge, huge issue. Um, before that, the previous evacuation we had, if you remember, was Hurricane Floyd in 1999. So you think about that, 1999, then all of a sudden you go from 2016 to 2019 and you're evacuating three times. Um, we didn't have much impact in 2020, thank God, because when you talk about issues of, um, of social equity and then the pandemic, I mean, when we evacuate, where do we evacuate to? Um, but, you know, as you know, um, June 1st starts another hurricane season. Um, most of our uh, flood events, 70% of our major flood events along the Georgia coast have occurred since 2015. I mean, that kind of stuff. And, of course, Savannah is always hot, but um, we had more days of extreme heat here in Savannah, um, which is 105 or higher. And since 2016, we've averaged about three weeks of extreme heat days each year. So, again, things are changing, and although science is not supposed to be political, um, you know, people take that data, but the fact is we could all agree on what the truth is. Um, so here in Savannah, we've been working, in, and we, we've led also with cities like Atlanta, um, Athens, Augusta, Clarkston. Um, we have a um, clean uh, renewable energy resolution. We passed that in 2020. Um, that was 
focus on developing a just regenerative energy transition, um, which is consistent with what's going on with the Biden um, administration. And that's by, for us having a 100% renewable energy for our entire community by 2035 and 2050 for all other energy forms. And so this year we are uh, focused on developing the city's energy transition plan called 100% Savannah in our community. Um, we are we call ourselves Savannah First, and so we are 100% Savannah developed by 100% of Savannahians. Um, to that end, we've been fighting even our state house, who's been trying to limit the city's ability to be able to determine for ourselves how we govern ourselves. Um, and then, of course, you can't talk about. Uh, doing work on climate change and uh, clean energy without talking about racial and social equity. Um, so we recently, almost a year ago, um, launched what was called the Real Task Force Racial Equity and Leadership, um, which was made up of representatives from across the public and um, private and community spectrums um, that are talking about housing, health, education, job access, and uh, issues of climate. Um, you know, because we all in this together, we have to develop a blueprint to make us a more just and racial, racially equ equitable community. So, um, you know, we've been uh, at this. We're, we're pushing. We're punching above our weight, I think, at this point. Um, but um, I'm excited about what Savannah is going to do. And I think for us, really more so than many cities, we have to because the environment affects so much of what we do. Um, I really yeah. want other cities to do it because it's the right thing to do. I apologize for stepping on your last uh, sentence there, uh, Mayor. Uh, you know, Kevin, there's a lot to unpack in what all of our panelists are saying, and, and I would love to get into some very specific areas where we're seeing the damage uh, that's been done by climate change in various uh, sectors of our economy, in various regions of the state, like uh, Savannah, of course. Um, but, but, Kevin, I, I think it's really noteworthy to say something that Mayor Johnson just, uh, Mayor Johnson just uh, talked about here, and that is, again, it becomes a partisan political issue. Um, we've seen a legislature that wants in any number of areas, including how the cities deal with climate, to uh, jump in and try to prevent local jurisdictions from taking the actions they think are necessary. Well, yeah, I mean, I, uh, we know, and I think each of our guests has, has been clear that, you know, when you talk about the complexity of public policy involved with climate change and the fact that it's both a local, state, and federal issue, that um, the ocean currents don't, don't stop at the state line, um, anything like that, it, it's going to take an effort and a commitment. Um, and I, I, I don't know, I, I was going to follow up with, with Shanta on this because I think she has made the point that climate affects many things. You know, she mentioned equity and she mentioned um, health care and she mentioned some other things. I wonder if, Shante, you could give listeners just an example of something that they may not connect to climate change that has huge economic or social impact that, you know, based on your work, because I think that people don't necessarily see that all the time. Yes, Kevin Riley, certainly. that's a great way. Shante, let me, i sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but I do need to get to a break. Kevin Riley sets us up for the beginning of the second segment. Shante, we'll get back to you on that question after we pause for these messages. Yeah. 
It's Earth Day 2021, and so we're having a conversation today on climate change and how we are making or not making progress and the ways in which climate change is affecting us here in Georgia and certainly around the world as well. We're joined by Dr. Kim Cobb of Georgia Tech, by Mayor Van Johnson, the mayor of Savannah, by Shante Wolf of the Sunrise uh, Movement, um, Kevin Riley here as well. Uh, Shante Wolf, I want to give you a chance to respond to something Kevin just asked you before the break. I want to. I, I said to everybody, I was I was looking at quotes that I thought were pertinent today, uh, before the show started. And Mahatma Gandhi said something that I thought was really meaningful. And Shante, I suspect you'll really relate to this. He said, "Earth provides enough to satisfy every man's need, but not every man's greed." And I suspect that's something that has motivated the Sunrise Movement mm-hmm. and your generation from the very beginning of what you've been doing. Yeah. Um, well, we all like to have this like unofficial quote that we say, which is um, take what you need and give what you can. And I think that that um, is a perfect parallel to our values. But um, just to get back to Kevin's question, I mean, a couple can come to mind, but, um, you know, I'll use two. Um, one is the why behind why I got into this work. You know, I'm from Augusta, Georgia. My mom was a PE teacher in the Richmond County school system for about 34 years. Um, and there's a neighborhood called Hyde Park, um, that was infamous for some of the climate injustices going on with the soil. Um, and what I did know that, um, is that there were several folks who ended up having cancer or their life expectancies were severely lower than, uh, average because of the toxic, um, air, the toxic water that were in their neighborhoods. And this is not unique to Hyde Park. This is something that goes on uh, in several neighborhoods, traditionally in black or brown impoverished neighborhoods. So, you know, racial disparities, it also comes up alongside health care and equity. Um, let's talk about the fires in California and the fact that, you know, hospitals were already at capacity with COVID patients. So folks couldn't get access to adequate care because of the fires that were going on. They couldn't get the help they needed in Texas. Um, I have a friend, rest in peace, um, her grandmother, you know, was on a, a defibrillator, you know, and the power went out for days. Um, and if she wasn't able to be airlifted to care, uh, she probably wouldn't be with us today. But there were cases um, that people weren't so lucky. So, you know, how climate impacts access to health care is very unique in the ways that we, we wouldn't think of, um, which, you know, typically gives us the barrier of people thinking that climate change hasn't hit their doorstep yet. Um, but I think it's at everybody's doorstep now, uh, especially when hurricanes happen and forced displacement happens across the South, which, you know, trickles down to um, job insecurity. If you have to move, you can't get to work because of several reasons. Um, now you're in debt. Now you also cannot get the help you need to care for your families. And it's an evolving, revolving cycle that happens for many um, lower class communities um, of color. Dr. Cobb, uh, if, if I could drill down a little bit, and Kevin, you may want to help me with this one. Um, l- let's talk about how climate change uh, is, is, a, it has the impa- is, is already affecting and has the potential to be much more impactful on specific segments of our communities. The, how are farmers in Georgia starting to feel the impact of climate change and what is, what's ahead for them if we don't figure out a way to start mitigating some of the problems? Well, you know, farmers are really on the front lines of climate change impacts uh, across the world. And, of course, here in Georgia, with a strong uh, economic uh, sector in agriculture, uh, this is a major concern. And so we've seen huge impacts from 
uh, Hurricane Michael, devastating, of course, farmers across the southern parts of the states in ways that, uh, you know, they, some may never recover from fully. And then uh, we can also um, appreciate that there is a new term, flash drought, that has emerged, uh, motivated in part by uh, severe, uh, pretty abrupt drought conditions emerging uh, across our state that have hit the agricultural sector uh, so hard that you know they're they're thinking about how to monitor this and, and basically try to stay on top of it uh, as these impacts are coming down. Uh, one of the things that we know will occur with ongoing climate change is an increase in the extremes of precipitation. And this is something that folks find kind of counterintuitive. How can climate change cause drought while climate change is also cutting, causing extreme precipitation? Uh, it is causing both, and both of those things are linked to heat physically. Uh, for the drought, it's a decrease in soil moisture, more evaporation from hot surfaces, depleting soils of hot moisture. And on the extreme precipitation side, it's a warmer atmosphere that can hold more water vapor. And when that gets squeezed out, it's causing those, uh, those extreme precipitation events. None of those things are good for agriculture. Uh, none of those things are good for water resources, of course, closely related uh, in a state that's uh, dependent in large part on the irrigation. So yeah, these are uh, devastating impacts that have already uh, crept into the kitchen table issues for farmers across the state and going forward. Uh, that's why it's so important to get ahead of climate change and get serious about how we can help our uh, many rural communities uh, stay safe and maintain their livelihoods in these ongoing uh, decades of impacts. I'm going to ask uh, Mayor Johnson about this one. I mean, uh, we we have a stat that we looked at as we got ready for the show about uh, Atlanta being the 19th fastest warming city in the U.S. And of of course, uh, the the report seems to indicate that all cities are getting warmer faster. You talked a little bit about Savannah. So, what does that mean for you as a mayor? I mean, okay, so it's a couple degrees warmer. I mean, what's the big deal? But I assume there are impacts on the city as citizen services. I mean, how do you see that? Well, I think that's been the problem. Um, people will casually say, oh, it's just a couple of degrees warmer. When you look at it in the aggregate over years, um, it goes to being a whole lot of degrees warmer. Uh, and it affects everything we do. Uh, and it really puts us in a um, sometimes a very um, a contentious um, uh, position, particularly with developers. Uh, and people who are saying, let's build, let's build, let's build. And here in Savannah, you know, we intentionally say, no, we you know we like our green space. We like our tree canopy. Um, we like our water and we like to protect our water. And so um, sometimes I think there are, there have been some very good opportunities that we otherwise would have missed out on had we not been saying, you know what, uh, our environment is really too important for this. We don't want to become a concrete jungle. Um, we recognize that concrete helps to uh, raise our, our temperature. And so I think, again, we've been very, very intentional about that. I think we've been, you know, again, one of these communities is saying that we're looking toward the future. We're building with uh, with uh, equity and, and climate change in mind. We're now outfitting our new garages with electric um, vehicle um chargers so that we can have electric vehicles. We're transitioning our fleet to lease vehicles so that we can ultimately move to uh, total electric. Um, again, it, it, it costs. It costs. And people don't understand, well, why does it cost? It's easy to do it now. But, you know, for us, you have to take these courageous actions because history will look upon us and say, what were they thinking? 
And I want history to look upon us and say, you know what, they set us up to be better and do better. Shante, it occurs to me, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong, that, that the extreme heat that we're experiencing in cities across Georgia and in, in, in across the whole state, um, it, 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 it impacts all of us. But this is another area where there's a disproportionate impact on people of color in many cases, in poorer communities. I'm Most of us, thank goodness, I have, you know, I can afford my electric bill. I can afford a good air conditioning system. I can stay cool despite the heat in the summer. But that isn't always the case for uh, people in poorer communities across the state. And the notion that there are people living in apartments, in, in spaces where they are have no way to escape the heat, just tells us more again about how communities of color are disproportionately affected in ma- many ways by the climate crisis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's true. And um, going back to what I was asked about, you know, who, who's the different generation of climate folks now? I, I think outside of like, illuminating the intersections of climate change we're also like directly targeting people um, who have been historically left out of the conversation of the impact of climate change Uh, one way we decided to do that in georgia was uh, we you know tried our hand at endorsing someone in the public service commission by the name of daniel blackman because you know these things impact how much we're going to pay for these deals. Um, and while I know the reason is climate change, more often than not, if you call Georgia Power and you tell them, look, climate change is the reason, you know, my deal is higher than easily. I promise you they probably won't care. Um, so we have to do a better job of getting people in these seats um, that will have the best interest uh, at heart of, of those that they're serving. I think also outside of, you know, affecting just uh, communities of color. Let's talk about how it just stayed on a national stage. Uh, we've seen several conversations of, you know, what happens in southern rural states around disproportionate um, injustices. But then after that, where's the follow-up? Where's the aftercare? And here at Sunrise, uh, we've done a better job not only telling these stories, but giving them the arsenal in their own respective uh, communities to, you know, fight and, and hold these uh, politicians accountable or get them out the way if they're not doing what they need to uh, do. Mayor Johnson, I know you want to weigh in, and then Kevin, please join in. Well, I just wanted to also say I think that this pandemic has really um, compounded the issues of those and has revealed our weaknesses in our social welfare system. So, um, you know, we talk about uh, not black and brown, but I also think about homeless people. So, for example, um, lately we have had issues where our, our shelters can't take uh, in the people they can take in because of, um, of social distancing. Well, you think about this. People who don't have roofs over their heads, um, whatever, if it's wetter, they're in it. If it's hotter, they're in it. And, and so it also it's a social welfare issue for us as we continue to take care of the least of these in our community. Uh, the fact is, is that some people are living these elements, as you said, um, you know, we're blessed to have air conditioning when it's uh, hot. We're blessed to have heat when it's cold. Um, some people are living this every single day. Kevin? Well, Dr. Cobb wants to jump in. I've got a question for her. So go ahead, Dr. Cobb, and then I'll follow up with a question. Yeah, uh, my my ears have been burning here because I um, really am excited <laughs> about the potential to uh, come together in, in new partnerships and address uh, urban heat islands in Atlanta. And I want to just drop some statistics here. Of course, uh, extreme heat is the number one cause of weather-related deaths in the United States, uh, more than hurricanes and tornadoes combined. 
And so this is a, a now term issue that we know is going to get worse with uh, about 20 days on average in Atlanta tipping into triple digits, extremely dangerous levels of heat. And that number is projected to increase to over 90 days per year by 2050. Mm. And so, you know, these couple degrees here and there, they add up to exacerbate what is already a crippling concern for many communities in Atlanta. And I just wanted to highlight the vulnerability uh, matrix is is so uneven. And we know that communities, that low-income communities of color on the front lines of this issue, uh, in part because of historic redlining that has Uh, disinvested in these very communities. And when we look at cities across the United States, uh, this is the pattern we see again and again and again. And uh, that is why I am so thrilled to be working with colleagues at Spelman College, uh, with the West Atlanta Watershed Alliance, the Partnership for Southern Equity, to map urban heat extremes in Atlanta this summer, and then to think about how we can work with the city to lift up policies to be as proactive as possible about these intersections. Uh, Kevin, you know what's uh, great to hear with all of these panelists? That they are forming partnerships uh, with each other, with uh, communities around them, with other nonprofits, uh, universities and the like, um, because if we can't rely on government to solve all of our problems, these partnerships are a step in the right direction. I think they would all agree, but we can ask them. Anyhow, Kevin, go ahead, weigh in. I just want to follow up on something you just said, Dr. Cobb, so so we can understand it better. You said you're mapping extreme heat islands or something. I mean, explain what that is and what you mean and what you find when you do that and why it's important. I'm sorry. I just don't, I didn't, I'm not sure. familiar with the term of the process. So, Yeah. So first of all, let's just, uh, you know, talk about urban heat islands for a second. Uh, Mayor Johnson mentioned the importance of green spaces uh, uh, as uh factors that can reduce urban heat islands and in concrete as can exacerbate them. Uh, Cities like Atlanta can be up to 15 degrees hotter than surrounding areas. And that is uh, really visible across all the major uh, urban areas in this country. And so going forward, uh, these are going to be exacerbated, these kinds of heat extremes. Now, when you think about what happens on the ground with those extreme heats, We want to think about uh, mapping those at a neighborhood block by block level. So we have community scientists. They have smart sensors in their hands, and they're walking around mapping this at a meter by meter scale. And that's an amazing partnership that I was discussing earlier. And that's what I mean when I say it's wonderful to hear that you all have these partnerships in efforts to deal with this tremendous problem we're talking about today. Let's get to our final break, Michelle. When we come back, let's talk some more about potential solutions and how the people on our panel are working toward them right now. This is Political. Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else. Join me, Peter Biello, for this quick and convenient way to get the best of GPB News' extensive coverage of the topics that matter to you, delivered directly to your device every weekday afternoon. Rewind.
Quick program note before we continue with today's edition of Political Rewind. Um, you've been hearing us talk, obviously, a lot about the enormous controversy surrounding Georgia's election law. It has been roundly condemned across the country here in Georgia. Republicans continue to insist it has been necessary and is an important step in the right direction. Well, tomorrow we're going to uh, have Speaker of the House David Ralston on the show, and he will talk with us about why he thinks this law was necessary and why he thinks the good outweighs the bad. And yes, I know many of you out there uh, want to maintain your position of not listening to the other side, but Ralston <laughs> is a guy worth hearing from one way or the other, and we're very glad he's agreed to come on the show. Uh, you know, it's funny, Mayor Johnson, we watch each other on WebEx, as our listeners know by now, and I see the response you as a Democratic mayor are having. And, and in fact, it's interesting because this leads into a question I wanted to ask you. You are the elected political leader on the panel today. When Shate talks about, as we talk about solutions in this final segment, when Chante talks about the importance of the Green New Deal, and, and her organization is fierce in its advocacy of it, how difficult is it for you as an elected official to fight through the demonization of the Green New Deal? How, how do you look at it in any objective way when it has been made the center of such a big partisan uh, argument? Well, uh, thank you for asking. Um, I think Shante is right on point. Um, our challenge has been very clear. As mayors of cities, um, we are the closest to people um, where they are every single day. And so where people on Capitol Hill or in the State House deal with ideologies uh, and deal with principles, uh, in the end we deal with reality as it affects people every single day. Um, for us, we have to, and, and my administration has really been focused on looking at everything we do through uh, equity lens, through a diversity lens, through uh, social and, um, and, and, and racial um, and leadership. How do we do those things, keeping those things uh, before us? And, and so I think that has allowed us to be very courageous, um, although it has put us sometimes in some very unpopular positions as it relates to um, people who are saying, well, we're doing this because it's the best for you. Like, for example, there in Atlanta, we're telling you what you can do in Savannah because we know in Atlanta what's best for Savannah in terms of energy and climate change. No, no, it's not. And so, you know, it puts us, I mean, and, you know, I don't like fussing with people all of the time, but the fact is, is that here in Savannah, I think we know what's best for Savannah in Savannah. Allow us to plan for ourselves and address our issues for ourselves. Shante, very quickly, and then I know Kevin wants to jump in. You said something very important early in the show. You said that your organization came to a realization some time ago that you had to find the right words for talking mm -hmm. about things like the Green New Deal. And you've said several times already on the show, reaching out to audiences that haven't heard the message before. Mm -hmm. So how do you explain the Green New Deal in a way that uh, makes us, uh, uh, that can maybe take a partisan sting out of it for many people? Um, I think the best thing we can do to take the partisan sting out of it is directly highlighting how it impacts people's lives in a practical and positive way. I mean, right now, all you hear about the Green New Deal is some of the propaganda messaging around it, uh, around how it's just going to tank the economy and all these other things. So, you know, dispelling a lot of the myths and also, like, localizing the Green New Deal to show 
on a municipal level how it could even be enacted or advocated for. Like people sometimes don't know how to fight for the Green New Deal because they have, simply just don't have the words or the messaging to resonate with. Dr. Cobb? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that I'm so excited about is uh, how we can lift up uh, Georgia-grown solutions that will resonate uh, with every Georgian. So if we think about, uh, you know, the Green New Deal, uh, folks may have a, a version to that knee-jerk reaction, but there's a project called Drawdown Georgia, which is a uh, basically a research-based roadmap to achieve carbon neutrality in Georgia uh, by Georgians, constructed by Georgians, for Georgians. And so this is a plan where it really clearly outlines how Georgia can gain jobs, gain economic benefits, and advance equity on our road to a low-carbon future. And so when we think about how that could resonate across the aisle here in Georgia, uh, that's the kind of project that I think uh, really provides some insights and some new talking points that can move us forward. Dr. Cobb, um, I want to follow up with you. Uh, we've only been on this uh, in this conversation a short time, but it becomes clear to me that you are an eternal optimist, um, and uh, certainly that's what comes across. <laughs> uh, and, and for which I and I admire that. So, so talk to the average, you know, our, the listeners out there, average people who can feel so overwhelmed by the magnitude of climate change and all the things that we're talking about. And, and, and want to know, what should they do? What should they be thinking about? How do they themselves have some impact with something that's worldwide and so complicated, it's hard to kind of know and, and to find that optimism? Well, I mean, there's so much action going on in our state. And so there are pockets where Georgia is leading on climate. Organizations that have been working on this issue uh, for decades that are already trying to reach for the key levers that we know are there and, and start to move us forward. So the good news is uh, Georgians don't have to start from scratch. <laughs> you can reach out to local organizations that are working on this issue. Uh, there are organizations like uh, Georgia Faith Interface Power, Georgia Interface Power and Light. Uh, if you're a faith-based uh, person, uh, if you're an equity and justice person, reach out to Partnership for Southern Equity. If it, energy justice is a big issue for you, if K through 12 education and climate is your passion, because you got a lot of kids like me, there are organizations working on that. And so basically you have all the values and the knowledge that you need to engage for change in our state and join hands with partners who are actively working these issues from any number of different angles. And that is really what we need to see, this kind of groundswell of people recognizing that this is an issue they can address. And the most important thing to remember is that we don't talk about this enough. It can't just be Earth Day, folks. If you care about this issue, and polls show that most Americans do, 67% of Georgians care about this issue. Uh, that's a large bipartisan group of folks. Uh, why aren't we talking about this more? Talk about it with your friends. Talk about it with your family. Talk about it with your coworkers. And we'll get further faster here in Georgia and make those deep investments in the early investments that show we are already leading and, and that we're poised to be a national, international leader on this issue. Kevin? Uh, wow. Um, <laughs> I, I thought you were going to say something like, uh, you know, go buy an electric car uh, or something like that. Go so buy I appreciate an electric it. car. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, and give me one thing in the Green New Deal that if people uh, really understood it, 
they would say, yeah, we should do that tomorrow. Let's give Shantae a chance at that one first. I would say jobs uh, and the connection to clean energy and jobs. I mean, Biden's administration has already started to do some sort of uh, interpretation of a, you know, climate office of climate policy um, in which this is supposed to, you know, reach fruition. So I think that's the first thing. Like, this is an economic opportunity if we look at this in, in the best way possible. Um, yeah, that's my first, always going to be my first answer. Right now we need jobs. <laughs> Mayor Johnson, what, you know, I want to pick up on what Kevin said. And, and I'm going to ask, and I'll ask all of you with, a, we've only got a couple minutes left, but give me what's one thing I can do to reduce my carbon footprint, to make a difference as an individual in, 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 as I live, in the way I live my life? Smart decisions. Um, and it's, it's individual decisions. I mean, it might be you know, not using plastic. Um, here soon in Savannah, we'll be asking folks um, to voluntarily you know, ditch the plastic, um, ditch the, the plastic straws and the styrofoam and other things that hurt our environment. Um, it's an individual thing, and we can all contribute. And then also to educate our young people. We know the younger people, uh, they get it, and they understand it, and they, we know that they rule their households. They influence the buying decisions of their parents. So, again, teaching our younger people that you know, we're doing this for them. This is the one thing that we do that we pass on to future generations. Um. Dr. Cobb, just with the little time we have left, could you give us one idea? What, what's something I should be doing? You should be voting. <laughs> that is for sure. Uh, so if there's, if there's one thing you take from my messages today, uh, it's really the importance of getting out there and voting. And if you're already an avid voter, uh, get involved in the Get Out the Vote movement. Get involved in voting rights efforts in our home state because we are a battleground state. This will continue to be a state where national policy is shaped. So vote and get out the vote. Shante? Um, after you vote, think about how we're going to sustain power before and after elections. Let's, let's organize. Let's train up these leaders um, so that we'll have more of us in the field and not just your same usual Justice League suspects uh, in whatever area. Um, thank you for that. Um, Dr. Kim Cobb, Shante Wolf, uh, Mayor Van Johnson, thank you for a really wonderful conversation. Kevin, what do you say you and I, let's go out and look at electric cars. What do you say this weekend, Kevin? We can make a difference. <laughs> uh, okay, Bill, that's a date. <laughs> All right, Kevin Riley, thank you so much for being with us today as well. We're just about out of time for today's show, but we thought we'd leave you today, since it is Earth Day, with the great, great Harry Nilsson singing about the planet that we celebrate on Earth Day. So see you all tomorrow. Take care. Stay healthy. Keep wearing your mask and put it over your nose and go get a shot if you haven't had one so far. See you all tomorrow. Here's Harry Nilsson. Your mountains when you're mad Your rivers when you're sad And those deep blue Deserts down below I love the way you are